Hola, guten Morgen, thank you for 151k. Getting up there, so high. Gonna get a nosebleed. <laughs> anyway, so I've been looking at Marianne for president videos, and uh, which are pretty great. Talks run for president three weeks ago. Sounds good. Universal health care support for Republicans. DJ NV Charlemagne the guy. We are the Breakfast Club. We have Tez and Figaro joining us on this interview. Tez, Tez, what up? What's going on, family? Breakfast Club family and Miss Williamson. Thank you for joining us. That's right. We got a special guest, Miss Marianne Williamson. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning. Always a pleasure to see you. It's always a pleasure to see you too. Thank you. Absolutely. You're, you're running for president again. Again? Yes, I am. Why do you want to get back on this stressful grind? <laughs> Well, I've asked myself that a few times, but it took me a long time to decide whether or not to do it. And ultimately, I felt like I could make a contribution here. I think some things need to be said. I think some things need to be done. And uh, it's as simple as that. Like what? Like, what did you see in Biden's campaign that said, there are some flaws and this is the reason why I want to run? What's not making you satisfied? <clears throat> it's an incremental approach. It's a lack of fundamental economic reform. It's taking an unjust economic system and saying to people, I will try to help you survive an unjust economic system. But in the richest country in the world, why should the economic system be unjust? You have 20% of Americans who, for whom the economy is pretty well, pretty good. But this 20% live on some kind of enchanted economic island surrounded by a vast sea of economic despair. 39% of Americans now report that they have skipped meals to pay their rent. That's 44% of millennials. We have one in four Americans who live with medical debt. 64% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And 60% of Americans could not afford an unexpected uh, $400 uh, expenditure. So, no, things are not okay. So the, uh, the, the president's saying, well, things are okay. I'm going to finish the job. What job? Every other advanced democracy has universal health care, free college tuition, free child care, paid family leave, guaranteed sick pay, and a guaranteed livable wage. It, we need an economic U-turn in this country. We don't need more little fixes here. Oh, look what I've done for you. Maybe you can survive this. People are clearly, people's lives are falling apart. We call it a mental health crisis, but we don't want to look, to, they don't want to look at the deeper systemic causes of all this despair that is literally killing people. Do you think that uh, President Biden is too well said. to run again? I wouldn't go there. I, I mean, everybody can see what they see, make their own decisions. Um, you know, I'm not a young woman. I'm 70. I would not be running if I were 80. But at the same time, I don't want to take pot shots, and I don't think I, I, the, the American people don't need me to weigh in on that. Go ahead, Ted. Now, Ms. Uh, Williamson, you are, are you still an independent? Would you classify yourself as an independent? I'm running as a Democrat, but I certainly think of myself as an independent thinker, and we need more Democrats with ind independent thinking. This codependent relationship with the DNC where they've just decided that it's Biden. We should be, the Democrats claim to be the party that is protecting democracy. So why is it that Marianne Williamson, even Bobby Kennedy, now we're like invisibilized. 
I heard uh, David Axelrod on television last night say Biden has no challenger, and Anderson Cooper didn't uh, didn't challenge him. We're all supposed to just do whatever they say. So the idea of um, a, a democratic Monolithic. process at a time like this, when the fascists are literally at the door, that we're not supposed to even be having a real conversation about like maybe what should we be presenting as the agenda to the American people in 2024? First of all, to win this election in 2024. More importantly, to repair this country. I'm glad you use that word fascist because I don't know why people are so afraid to use that word. Like, well, they should look it up in the dictionary because if you look at at the policies of people such as Ron DeSantis in Florida, that's what fascism is. So, Ms. Williamson, if you are an independent, what do you say then to uh, your critics who are saying, you know, you're splitting the Democrat vote and that this Ms. Williamson to win this. Did you all to win this election in 2024? More importantly, to repair this country. I'm glad you used that word fascist because I don't know why. Just decided that it's Biden. We should be, the Democrats claim to be the party that is protecting democracy. So why is it that Marianne Williamson, even Bobby Kennedy, now we're like invisibilized. I heard uh, David Axelrod on television last night say Biden has no challenger. And Anderson Cooper... Democratic candidates. Challenge him. We're all supposed to just do whatever they say. So. The idea of um, a, a democratic process at a time like this, when the fascists are literally at the door, that we're not supposed to even be having a real conversation about, like, maybe what should we be presenting? as the agenda to the American people in 2024, first of all, to win this election in 2024, more importantly, to repair this country. I'm glad you used that word fascist, because I don't know why people are so afraid to use that word. Like, Well, they should look it up in the dictionary, because if you look at, at the policies of people such as Ron DeSantis in Florida, that's what fascism is. So as we just decided that it's Biden. We should be, the Democrats claim to be the party that is protecting democracy. So why is it that Marianne Williamson, even Bobby Kennedy, now we're like invisibilized. I heard uh, David Axelrod on television last night say Biden has no challenger. And Anderson Cooper didn't, uh, didn't challenge. Fashion, fascism is. decided that it's Biden. We should be, the Democrats claim to be the party that is protecting democracy. Just decided that it's Biden. We should be. That's what fascism is.
and that this campaign is just, you know, a grifting, uh, uh, an opportunity to get a message out, but but how you have a long shot. What is your answer well, to that? First of all, I'm a Democrat. said I'm an independent thinker, but no, I'm a Democrat. So you can't be a supporter if you're running as a Democrat. If somebody says something like Jill Stein, the point was that she was not running as a Democrat. This is a primary. What's the grift? That's really my question. So what's the grift? And if I were just trying to get a message out, first of all, that wouldn't be wrong. But I've done that before. You don't go through this kind of like, ugh, to just get a message out. If I just want to get a message out, I could write a book. I want to ch help change the system. This country needs an economic U-turn. This country is six inches from the cliff in terms of the state of our democracy, the state of our de uh, environment, <clears throat> the, st the state of, uh, of our democracy. So... I think that uh, no one should be apologizing for coming in and saying, no, this has got to change because that system has proven to itself it will not change. What will be different with you? Because we've heard this from every Democrat politician that we would change this, we would change that. And it seems like when they get in office, nothing ever changes. I mean, I, I'm not of that system. I, I don't owe that system anything. When somebody says she's committing political suicide, what political career do I have? <laughs> I'm not tied to that system. This is why, I mean, where are they all? Seriously, you say you're here from them all. I don't hear them saying anything other than, yes, we will go with Biden. Mm -hmm. So, no, we need a character like a Roosevelt who goes in there and says, you know, right now, it, Look at something like the Willow Project that the president just approved. Oh, my God. He had said when he was running, no drilling on federal land. He has said that it, he recognizes that climate change is an existential threat to the human race. Meanwhile, he has given more um, drilling permits than even Trump did. And he has just approved the Willow Project, an $8 billion uh, oil uh, extraction pro uh, project on the slopes of uh, of uh, northern slopes of Alaska. Now he's actually after that, even after all the outrage uh, expressed, particularly by young people, he has now uh, permitted and approved a project that will have to do with the exportation of liquefied natural gas. Why is this? Why is it that he says one thing and then does another? Because they are in the grip of the uh, the corporate aristocrats, the insurance companies, the pharmaceutical companies, the big agricultural companies, the big chemical companies, the big food companies, in that case, big oil and defense contractors. I'm not held hostage by those people. I'm not part of that system. Okay, so let um, so Ms. Mary, uh, let's talk a little bit about your policy. Um, okay. One of the things uh, that you stand out for, and I remember that quite well, you know, when you ran the last time was reparations. And just for clarity, you know, all Black Americans, uh, their only concern is not reparations. We all know that we, you know, we raise yeah, children, we care about education, we care about, yeah. uh, you know, many things across the board. Uh, but you do stand out uh, as a reparationist. Uh, candidate. Now, the current administration uh, does support HR 40, which will create a study uh, on reparations, and you have been very bo vocal about that. Uh, and and so, tell us how you feel about the current administration's position on HR 40, and what would be different for you. So, the Biden administration's position on HR 40 is exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I knew John Conyers; he was a friend of mine. I raised my daughter in Detroit. Um, John Conyers, if he were here today, he would be rolling his eyes. We don't need another study. We don't need another study. So for the Biden administration to say, oh, I support H.R. 40, which once again, John would say that was then, this is now. Okay, we've, we've moved further. Um, so we, we support H.R. 40, but of course Congress has to do it. 
That is the Biden administration in a nutshell. Kick that can down the road. Make, do something performative where it sounds like, oh, I really, I really support that. It means nothing. We are at a point now where a president who actually supports reparations, which I do simply because I want to see this country heal. A country is a group of individuals. It has, it's run by the same principles. The principle here is you can't have the future you want if you will not clean up the past simple. It's, it's, it's rather transactional for me. We don't need another study, and we don't need a president who says, but Congress needs to do it. We need to have a president who invites some black leaders to uh, Camp David for the weekend and says, okay, let's uh, put the plant, let's put it on the table, let's start some negotiations. That is the president I would be, and that's the difference. Why, why, are, you, why are you not afraid to speak on an issue like reparations when you know it'll alienate so many other communities that you I'm not of? here. I'm not a people-pleaser political candidate. I'm not here thinking, ooh, say this, say that. I'm doing this, as I said before, to say what I believe needs to be said. It's called leadership. You don't just, a real leader doesn't just say what you think people want to hear. Uh, there's no reason for me to do this except to say what I believe needs to be said. That's what I mean about somebody coming from outside the system. Ooh, you're not supposed to say that. We've done focus groups, and that percentage of Americans won't like you. That's the point. You need somebody to whom that is like, so what? So, Ms. Williamson, let, let me ask a follow-up on that then um, about lip service. So, right now, there's a California Reparations Task mm -hmm. Force. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you come from California, correct? Yeah. Well, I don't live there now, but I've lived many years there in my adult life, yeah. Okay, so have you been involved in the California task force? In no, I haven't. Or? No, I haven't lived in California for probably eight years. Well, have you been involved in any task force anywhere? Well, I've designed my own, and I've written books about it. I've been writing about reparations, talking about it, doing racial healing circles since the end of the 1990s, and uh, I have a plan for reparations uh, that I and I've run for president twice now, actually putting that out to the American people, which is, I believe, a megaphone that matters. Sure, but you just mentioned um, it's important to have black leaders at the table to talk about how do we do this. So I just, you know, I, I just want to be clear, you know, and fair uh, in asking, you know, have you actually been involved with have, black leaders? Yes, beyond, I have. You know, my main, I would say the person who has affected my thinking the most is Sandy Darity. Sandy uh -huh. Darity is the first person I talked to and his wife as well. I feel I was uh, mentored by his information. Do you know what I'm saying? He's the first person I said, could you please explain this to me? I've read books such as Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, and, and heard others, but I would say Sandy Darity is the person who is, uh, I think, whose counsel has, I, I, I like the way he frames it and it has meant something to me. Yeah. I have a brother, Max, Cornell you know, West. Talk about gun violence and all this violence that's happening in, in the U.S. in the last couple of years. What is your what is your your take on that, and, and how would you try to curb that and fix that? On this one, I feel that Biden has his heart in the right place. He is trying. We need obviously we need an assault weapon ban. Obviously, we need the banning of bump stocks. We need the banning of high capacity magazines. We need the uh, <clears throat> we need the 3D to handle the issue of the 3D printers. But I think we need to move beyond the conversation of is it culture or is it policy. It is both. And I, I think, actually, I think with this latest just state of, of senseless, horrible, violent happenings, I think we're at a possibility of an inflection point. I sense both on the left and the right that there is a critical mass of Americans who feel this has gone too far. You have even Republican governors now giving a little bit uh, in terms of things like federal uh, red flag laws. 
So we know what we need to do. We know that easy access to guns is a large part of the problem. We know that we have more guns than people in this society, but we also know that we have a violent society. Our economic policies are violent. Our, our, so much of our media is violent. So much of our, <clears throat> uh, even our food policies, we are a violent society. And, and there are millions of people, I don't know about millions of people, there are many people making billions of dollars off breeding violence and breeding fear. So we're going to have a violent society until we decide to be a non-violent society. And, and you think we'll get some type of common sense reform when you have the president of the United States of America saying that he's, he's powerless and that, you know, he has to beg Congress to do something. And, you know, you have so many of these GOP senators that, you know, they, they get direct funding from these gun lobbyists like the NRA. I don't, I mean, I, you, you seem like you have some optimism. I don't see it. Well, you're certainly, if the, I think we have to go back to why there was a time, Obama was an example, first year to the Obama administration, he had a Democratic House and he had a Democratic Senate. So we had a trifecta at that time. Um, at the, you know, Biden would say, and there's some truth to it, that even though he had a Democratic House and Senate in his first two years, that Manchin and Cinema were stopping him on many things. So not every Democrat is with us on this issue. We have three co-equal branches of government. The president doesn't have a magic wand, and we don't want that. We need more Americans who are willing to recognize we must get involved in the primaries. We must get involved in every election. And also, at this point, when it comes to guns, and I think more progressives and more young people, more people realize we must get involved on a community level, on a state level because a lot of the worst aspects of all of these things we're talking about are now coming out of the state houses. But, but to hear a president say he's powerless, I understand, you know, you need Congress, you absolutely do, yeah. but that's the biggest bully pulpit in the world. Well, like, that's how I feel, and I would certainly use it. I would certainly use it. Not only the biggest bully pulpit, but you, um, executive orders that you can use. You know, the, there there has been a tendency of democratic governments and the uh, democratic presidents in the modern era to back up when things get tough. Roosevelt said, when the economic royalists came at him, what he called the economic royalists, he said, um, I welcome their hatred. And that's what we need, is a president who says, I welcome their hatred. Mm. We had an assault weapon ban for 10 years. Mm. And during those 10 years, we did have uh, right. a, a much, much fewer mass shootings. Go ahead. Ms. Williamson, what, um, because I've heard a lot about, uh, you know, what the Biden administration is doing wrong. Tell me about your top if you had to pick three top policies that you would focus on, you know, first 100 days, or what do you see as the, because you have a lot of issues on your website, I and do. I know they're all equally important, but if you had to give us three on what you think is the most important thing to do right away, what would that be? We need universal health care in this country. We have one in four Americans living with medical debt. We have 68,000 Americans a year who die from lack of health care. We need, we have 85 million Americans who are either uninsured or underinsured. We have 18 million Americans who cannot afford to fulfill the prescriptions that their doctors give them. So a movement towards universal health care is very important to me. I would cancel the college loan debt. We need to get back to free college in this country, which we had uh, until the 1960s. <clears throat> I would uh, have every single penny of the Pentagon uh, audited. I would uh, make sure that every company that has a contract with the U.S. government that is a uh, union-busting company, is, is that those contracts are canceled. I would call together uh, uh, the, the group that I would like to go to Camp David to have a serious conversation about reparations. 
Also, uh, talking about racial issues, I would call uh, Tim Scott and uh, Cory Booker into the Oval Office and say, bring whoever you want. We're not leaving this office until we have a serious uh, bipartisan bill on police reform. Um, BLM, uh, for example, biggest protest movement in the history of this country, and there's not been one serious piece of legislation uh, that has addressed uh, the issues of, of police violence and um, what is obviously going on there that something is very, very wrong. I often wonder if any of that stuff is realistic, like the student loan debt, the police reform, maybe just because I'm, I've become such a pessimist because yeah. of the system. Mm -hmm. You know, I just wonder if any of that stuff is realistic or is just lip service that Because they want say. you to think that. Yeah. Because they want you to think that. So this is the deal. The Republicans don't even pretend. But the Democrats are, are like, oh, we're, you know, just bring us in again. Uh, let us finish the job. Bring us in again. You know, we're really trying on that. We're, we're really trying. That's what they want you to think. They want us to think, well, I guess it just can't be done. Why the hell can't it be done? Every other advanced democracy, every other advanced democracy has universal health care. Every other advanced democracy has free college. Every other advanced democracy has free child care, paid family leave, guaranteed sick pay, and guaranteed living wage. The reason it can't be done is because they are in the pockets of the insurance companies, because they are in the pockets of the uh, of the pharmaceutical companies, food companies, chemical companies, uh, big oil and, and defense contractors. And so they've numbed us. They've numbed us. And there's no like, well, well I guess I can't. I, I guess we can't do it. We're like acquiescing to that. Meanwhile, that's the way you get the fascists. Because people, you know, what, what Franklin Roosevelt said is, we would not have to worry about a fascist takeover as long as democracy delivered on its blessings. Democracy is not delivered on its blessings. You have 100 million people who don't vote. I think it's, it, for, for many people, it's the only way to say F you to that system. It's a dysfunctional, but I think an understandable reaction to a system that is doing nothing for them and that they know no matter who they elect, their visceral experience is that I'm still uh, at the effect of an unfair economic system, which is policy after policy, making it easier for the, those who already have money to make more money and more difficult for everybody else to even survive. The American people have got to make it, do an intervention here. That is the only way it's going to happen is if we bring someone from the outside and say, this shit stops now. Well, how, how does it stop, though? You, you know, we, we, we talk about the, the housing market, right? So many minorities still can't purchase houses, right? Interest rates are still sky high. They're saying that in neighborhoods uh, that we live in, the school system are the worst. They don't have books. They don't have computers. Wi-Fi sucks, right? Then talking to the car manufacturers, they say the government is really pushing these electric cars, but they're saying that there's no possible way that there's a grid strong enough to uphold all these costs. So they say they just think it's a bunch of lip service. So how do we fix those problems? Okay, you fix it by, wouldn't it be nice to have a president who said everything you just said? Absolutely. Thank you. Right there. That's your bully pulpit. A president who just names what's really going on in this country. You have these huge companies coming in, buying all this housing. First of all, you, you should not be able to turn housing into a commodity in a country where 600,000 people are homeless. You know, the problem is not just the poor in this country, but also the near poor. People who are terrified because they know if one, they, if one rent check doesn't get paid. Okay? So those companies should not be able to buy those houses. At the very least, there should be uh, a high tax on them. And people who are individuals just seeking to get into homes should be given the priority. And you need a president who names that, because what you just named was the essential, fundamental inequity 
and injustice of the economic system in the United States. We do not need another president who doesn't mention that because that's negative because that president is counting on the donor class for whom that's not the case. All these people going, oh yes, Biden. Yes, Biden is the one, Biden is the one. They, uh, most of the time, excuse me, they have health care. Mm -hmm. They can send their kids to college. But how do you stop like, you know, big groups of people going in places like Brooklyn and Harlem and buying up the neighborhoods, pushing That's minorities right. out, and only bringing their own people in right. and charging high rent or high prices for the house. Right. We've seen it there. We've seen it in uh, L.A. We've seen it in parts of Jersey. We've mm -hmm. seen it in parts of Georgia. How do we stop that? Because what's, what's happening is they're taking our property, charging a premium for it, and then using it because it's close to cities or close to right. subways or close to places like that. Right. And obviously there is a racial element there, and that is the issue, of course, of gentrification. That is why I believe my reparations plan is the best. Because my reparations plan is, if you have a group of, of, of black elders, now this group would have to be multi-generational because I think the money should be dispersed over 20 years. If you have, there are, um, whether it has to do with uh, black leaders in business, black leaders in culture, black leaders in the arts, black leaders in politics. Let's say you have um, all this money and you have, let's say, black real estate moguls, and they do exist in this country. Absolutely. They would look at Greenville, South Carolina, mm -hmm. and they would look at the money, the billions coming in that year and go, we're going to buy those blocks. We're going to buy those blocks. And that's how you deal with it. If you just say that it comes in the, and then also, I don't believe that white people should be telling black people how to spend that money. Mm -hmm. So if I owe you $1,000, I don't think it's my business how you spend it. Right. But if you have an amount of money and the, those billions that are coming in every year, that's called wealth. It's as simple as that. You could buy all those blocks. You, we're going to buy that neighborhood as opposed to this person who could stay in their rent longer. Although if, if some of the money is spent that way or historical black colleges or descendants of slaves, that's not my business. But in terms of what you were saying, it's called wealth, the wealth to just buy, buy that neighborhood. Mm. Like that. So, Ms. Williamson, I am known to be pretty tough on candidates, <laughs> you know, when I'm asking questions. And, you know, I, so I, I have to be fair and ask, you know, I, I certainly appreciate the theory. I appreciate, you know, uh, writing books and, and great ideas. But in fairness, would you say that you bring experience on any level of government of actually getting, you know, even small things done or what, what I'm looking for the receipts. What can we point to to say, okay, this is the candidate that can actually get X, Y, Z done or get us a little bit closer to it when you, when you talk about, you know, all of these things, particularly when you talk about the black community. So when, well, first of all, just in general, you're asking if I have the um, sort of technical ex uh, technical expertise to perpetuate that system. Washington, D.C. is filled with political car mechanics. Some of them are very good, and certainly you have to hire those people and have them in your administration. The problem today is not that we don't have good political car mechanics. The problem is we are on the wrong road. So that question uh, stems from this conversation that says, only people whose careers have been spent within the car that drove us into this ditch should possibly be considered qualified to lead us out of that ditch. My expertise is not that I know how to perpetuate and effectuate that system. My expertise is that I know something about disrupting it.
And if you want to know that, listen to everything I've said here today. <laughs> yeah, no, just waiting so respectfully. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, and using your analogy, what I'm saying is, have you ever touched a carburetor? Have you ever touched a motor? Have you ever touched anything, yeah. you know, yeah. in the car? So, that yes, I can I, I touched. And, uh, and I'm certainly um, and I'm certainly not talking about a career. I'm saying that if, you know, again, going back to the yeah. example on a, a task force, if there are active task force now on reparations and I see any candidate for that matter, um, not getting involved in having those conversations now and speaking from a theory standpoint, um, it does it, it, it does. I'm kind of taken aback by it because I want to know if you're willing to get your hands dirty now, rolling up your sleeves to see what you can do now at your level. Well, so that, that's what I'm asking. I think we all do in the field that we can. I think I've gone far towards helping to create the conversation in the United States, which actually led to things like the situation in California. Everybody has their role. One of the things I have seen, and yes, I've been around a, a, a lot of people in politics, it's a business like any other. It's a business like any other. It's people sitting around a room, talking, negotiating. And yes, I have been uh, as much of a businesswoman as any of the men who would come in here and be businessmen and no one would say well would you know how to, uh, to do it so yes i believe that i've worked with many many people but more than anything i feel that i have the power to say what needs to be said and not obfuscate uh but yes i've had plenty of experience at business and i've been in political circles enough uh including uh observing even at the white house to see this is a political system like any other it's men sitting around women sitting around a table just like we're doing now having a conversation and talking about what we are going to do. I wonder if you need experience as much as you need will. That's you right. Thank you. Look like Trump. Trump didn't have no experience. He just had to, to will. Thank you. And you know what? what? That's it. That, thank you very much. The issue with him was not that he didn't have political experience. It's the issue of his character, his ethics. You're right. He could have brought, if he had brought in a different type of person, he chose to bring in a Stephen Miller or Sebastian Gorka. He's a perfect example. You can't say he wasn't an effective president. He was effective at doing things that most of us would be horrified by, but he certainly was effective. People don't like that that conversation. Media always talks about what Republicans and Trump get wrong. What do you believe they get right that can be used to fight against it? Well, one of the things that Trump uh, did, and I wouldn't say it was right, but it was powerful, he struck a nerve. Mm. He hit a nerve. And um, the nerve he hit had to do with harnessing some of the worst aspects of the American character, uh, racism, homophobia, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, all those things that we know are the, the lower aspects of American consciousness. I think we need a president who harnesses the better aspects of American consciousness, the better angels of our nature. Justice, we, justice, justice, thy shall pursue. The book of Deuteronomy. We do not have economic justice in this country. We do not have criminal justice in this country. We do not have racial justice in this country. We do not have environmental justice in this country. My experience in when I ran last time, and, and really this is not just about when I ran for president. This is true of my entire career. I believe we are a decent people. We are a decent people. I'm not saying we're better than anyone else because we're not. But we're not worse than anyone else. But we need a politics that speaks to the noble in people, uh, that speaks to we must be a just nation. We, we must be a fair nation. That speaks to uh, what it takes to have a humanitarian rather than an economic bottom line. We now have a country, and I think that there are many people on the right as well as the left who see this now. We have a country where the bottom line in the way we function 
the short-term profit maximization for huge corporate entities rather than humanitarian values. You were talking about children before. We have millions of American children who go to school in schools where they don't even have the resources to teach that child to read. If a child cannot learn to read by the, by the age of eight, the chances of high school graduation are drastically decreased. The chances of incarceration are drastically increased. John Kennedy said that within 10 years, we will land a man on the moon. I would say within 10 years, every public school in the United States will be a palace of culture, learning, and the arts. We have in Chicago, in the public school system in Chicago, I was reading an article that one out of four uh, girls in the public school system in Chicago would be diagnosed with PTSD, as bad as a returning veteran from a battle zone. But remember, these kids, they're not living with post-traumatic stress. They're living with present tra traumatic stress every single day, activated. And we need a president who speaks to that and cares about that. Right now, children, they're not old enough to vote, so they're not a constituency. They're not old enough to, um, to work, so they have no financial leverage. We need a massive transfer of, of our resources in the direction of children under 10, and that's in every neighborhood of the United States. You know, we were talking about you, you opening yourself up to scrutiny that comes with running for president. And I mm -hmm. saw political say where you verbally and emotionally abused your employees last campaign. How, how do you feel about this? Well, I think that there are many people who have worked with me who like me. I think that I have gone quite a few times uh, in my career uh, in the office. And if anyone hasn't ever had those moments, uh, then perhaps, you know, I could ask, hey, listen, if I, times when I've raised my voice, if anyone has ever experienced me as disrespectful, then I am sorry about that. But the picture of me in that article is not accurate. Um, I, I just want to clarify one thing, because um, when Charlemagne talked about experience as well, and you know, when I'm talking about experience, I'm certainly just, because I don't want anybody to hear this interview and get confused by what I mean. I'm certainly not talking about being elected or, you know, holding some type of office. I'm mainly, you know, talking about grassroots. So I'll just, you know, leave this statement that I, I think it is, uh, Ms. Williamson, very important um, to get involved in things like the task force that, you know, if they're taking public comment right now. Uh, everyday citizens, you know, they're putting their uh, their faces and names, you know, in black and white to say how they feel. And so when you talk about a bully pulpit, I think that's a great way to start. And so when we look at what Kamala Moore is doing, you know, as the chair of the reparations committee in California, a city you once lived in, uh, or a state you once lived in, and a state you once ran in, um, I think it is critically important, you know, to get your position on the record. Because as these things happen on the state level, they obviously can happen on the federal level. And so that's, that's very uh, important to me you know, to see what, what can we do with our voice now. And yeah. so if, if everyday citizens can do it, if they can take out time, you know, to go down and do a five minute testimony, many of them have been doing it electronically online. I think it's very important uh, for any candidate running yeah. for president of the United States to do it as well. Yeah, I, I, I hear that and I, I, I appreciate that. I also think if you've been writing books about the subject that have sold to millions of people for decades, starting in the late nineties, your voice has been heard as well. Also, I have founded nonprofit organizations, including an organization called Project Angel Food, which is where a lot of my work was when I was in uh, California, which has served over 16 million meals now to homebound people. 
um, with AIDS. It began as a feeding people who are homebound with AIDS and HIV, but now anyone with a critical illness. So I think everybody contributes on the level that they can, uses the voice, whether it's, it's on a podcast. I think we're all contributing to a larger conversation. Uh, everybody does what is theirs to do. Yeah, I think Ted was talking specifically about reparations, but like you said, you've written, you've written books. So that, that, that Include, I was writing about reparations in 1998, mm -hmm. my first book. Oh, sure. And, I, and I'm not minimizing that. I'm just, you know, I understand what you're saying. You know, everybody, I'm certainly not minimizing well, that. Well, I don't live saying. in California, and I haven't lived in California for years, so I think my strolling into California to say something in a public comment section on California when I'm not a citizen of California. But I do think I understand what you're saying. And, and well, I, Yeah, I'm not minimizing what you're saying. The, well, there's task force everywhere, and people are commenting everywhere, even in California. I'm just saying, you know, there, there there's things happening now on the local and the state level that I would like any candidate, not just you. And it's not minimizing you and your books and all of the things that you wrote. I'm just saying when we criticize candidates for being lip service, those are one of the things that I always ask for. What are we doing? Well, is, you know, there another president, uh, is there another presidential candidate talking about reparations right now? No, I criticize them just as well, ma'am, even worse. Yeah. But I and still, I, I'm still asking the questions. <laughs> and, and I think running for president is a way that you are contributing to the political Absolutely. commentary. So I think Absolutely. by running for, yeah. Yeah, How do you that. feel about politicians like uh, Senator Fetterman coming out about their depression? I wouldn't have anything to say about that. I, he, he's, you know, I certainly supported him in his run. I was glad that he won, and uh, I, I don't have anything to say about that. God bless him. I know your past comments about depression keep came back. I, you said I lived through periods of time that by any means today would be called clinical depression, but even that's a scam. Well, when I said it was a scam, I was speaking, that was, I, I'd like to uh, clarify that. Um, the um, certainly use of psychotherapeutic drugs has a function in many people's lives. Um, yeah. And we know, for instance, with the opioid crisis, that there has been predatory behavior on the part of pharmaceutical companies. Um, we have 500,000 people who have died of that opioid crisis. So even though painkillers should exist, there was a push that um, every American recognizes now, Purdue Pharmacy, Sackler Family, et cetera. My point had to do with the fact that uh, pharmaceutical companies, there has been, um, I believe, uh, behavior. I don't think it should be considered um, uh, outrageous to point out that Americans are over-medicated. Yeah, there's other holistic measures. Pardon? There's other holistic measures. There's other holistic things you can do. Other than Absolutely. Saying, hey, and of course, you've written about this. You've talked Absolutely. about this. Uh, and it shouldn't end. And yet, this is an example of where you, you cross the line into anything that Big Pharma doesn't like. Yeah. Now, we recently celebrated, what, 420? Yes, yesterday. And there's a, a, a lot of people. Do you smoke? Yes, you snap your hands. Do you smoke? Have you smoked before? I looked at the year I was born. But but now it's legal, right? And and uh, I was gonna ask with so not many people. Legal. No, it wasn't legal. Yeah, it's not legal. No, it wasn't legal. Well, not to say back then. I'm saying now it's legal in certain states. Yeah. You can't smoke. Yeah. Criminalized. Uh, what's your thoughts on so many people that are, are still in jail for it? With okay. so many different places. This is that actually a very serious topic. Uh, when when you were asking before, what would I do uh, immediately? I would deschedule marijuana. I would deschedule cannabis from my Schedule One drug. Those people, all nonviolent drug offenders, should be allowed out of jail, That's right. and they, their records should be expunged. And we should end the war on drugs. And period. 
That's something President Biden can actually do. Yes, right he now, sure could. That's a perfect. And another thing which he said he would do. Mm-hmm. Has it? Do you think he went far enough with, uh, what, what was it, uh, uh, what was it, simple possession of hearing? Nobody released, what is he, expunging the records of everybody on the federal level? for some Yeah, on the federal level, there has been some protection. It's all those incremental approaches. Mm-hmm. A little bit, certainly better than Republicans. There's nobody in, in prison on the federal level for simple possession of weed. I, um, I, I know that he did take some action on a, on a federal level. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say nobody's in prison. No, there's nobody. I don't know exactly. No, that's a fact. Yeah, yeah, federal, yeah, yeah on federal. On a federal level, there's nobody yeah. in jail for simple possession. But he court. could still declassify it mm-hmm. and end the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. We should treat drug addiction the way um, uh, a country like Portugal does, where it is uh, considered a health issue rather than a criminal issue. So um, speaking of a health issue, I, one of the other things that people you know, bring up a lot when they talk about you is your comments on illness and mm-hmm. how illness was an illusion and that AIDS, AIDS patients uh, was a physical manifestation of sin. Is that correct? Or would you like to clarify that? I would so be can... glad to clarify that. Uh, I, as I mentioned before, I founded an organization called Project Angel Food, which fed people. Uh, has fed 16 million meals to people with life-challenging illnesses. I was a very involved AIDS activist. The last thing I ever told the thousands of people with AIDS and other critical illness uh, that I have worked with is that their disease wasn't real, that they got it because they didn't pray enough. Illness, that one line that you just took out of context, and I know those are on the talking points, take them out of context. When I said that uh, that issue of illusion, I said it the way Buddha says it, the way Einstein says it. You know, President Biden has probably stood up in church thousands of times and affirmed his faith in the virgin birth. No one thinks that the president doesn't know where babies come from. So when you talk about when you talk about uh, three-dimensional life as an illusion, Einstein said time and space are illusions, but uh, albeit persistent ones. That's a line that was taken out of my book. I don't need to be schooled by someone, let's say, like Sonny Hostin on the View, that I don't recognize the reality of, of people's illness. My sister died of breast cancer. I have been at the bedside and officiated at the funerals of hundreds and hundreds of people. I am the last person in this country who does not understand the reality of physical illness. The difference between me and a lot of my critics is how much I have tried to do in my life to be of service to them. As far as saying sickness is the uh, is, a, is a sign of a psychic stream, what therapist wouldn't say that? What therapist, this is 2023, this is not 1984. The idea of the body-mind connection, that, that physicality and the emotional life and the, 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 the streaming inside, uh, the idea that this is seen as some kind of a fringe comment is an example of where our system just seeks to peripheralize those who do not find convenience to have in the conversation. Did Sunny use that against you? Did Sunny? Like, yeah, okay. and on the, the, the ladies of The View don't, don't like me this year. No, they don't like you too much. Huh? Yeah, they've been bringing that up a lot. That's why I wanted to, you know, hear Thank your... Thank you. You know, your... Thank you. It's because you're challenging their president. Challenging their club. Their club. It's not just their president. <laughs> it's their club. It's their club. And and I think that Democrats, those of us who are Democrats particularly, we, we need to break free of this codependent relationship. 
with the DNC. We're all supposed to just line up. How can how can a party that claims to be the 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 conduit for and protector of democracy, which it needs to be, particularly at this time, be so wary of real democracy. Real democracy, let other people in who have voices. At a time like this, with the fascists at the door, this is not the time to limit the conversation. This is the time to say, you have a good idea, you have a good idea, you have a good idea, anybody have any good ideas? That's how creativity happens. You got the fascists at the door. You got any ideas? Got any ideas? What do you think would win? What do you think might win? Not, oh no, we cannot go there because they have decided. Is that the mentality that you think hurt somebody like a Bernie Sanders in 2016? Pardon, what about Bernie? You think that's the mentality that hurt like a Bernie Sanders in 2016? Duh. Yeah. Duh. Hello. Hello. And two in a row. And it wasn't just a mentality that hurt him. His, his candidacy was, was suppressed and nefariously so. And everybody knows that. Well, I know, well, it's, it's a lot to hurt Bernie Sanders. Uh, and, and speaking of that, what is your uh, makeup for a black staff? I'm just curious, have you started getting your staff together or what would that look like? Because one of the things that's really important, particularly when you, um, you know, talk about getting the black vote and, and having, you know, conversations with black Americans, obviously you're going to talk to everybody, but, you know, this, the majority of folks, you know, that at least uh, listen here, uh, you know, are of color and particularly black. What were your black your black staff be looking like? One of the areas that Bernie Sanders failed in mm -hmm. tremendously. Our press secretary is a black man. Uh, all of my staff in South Carolina have three uh, people, uh, and then in Georgia. So I have five black people are currently serving on my staff out of twelve. Okay. All right. Well, we appreciate you for stopping, Mary. Yeah, we'll see you again. Thank what, you. What's the website? Uh, Marianne2024.com. Okay. Probably. Always a pleasure to see you, Ms. Williams. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to see you, too. Thank you for having me, Charlemagne. Thank Marianne. you. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Thank you so Thank much. You. It's Marianne Williamson. She's running for president, guys. <laughs> it's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Wake that ass up. Uh, in the morning. The Breakfast Club.